I'm still getting used to, or getting used again to the perception of looking out at a hall full of real life people and how much happiness that's bringing to my heart that you're all here and uh, that we've had a full 24 hours of practice together and uh, wondering how you're doing at this point where you are in respect of the beautiful intentions that you named or thought of yesterday evening and I imagine it's normal that uh, it's a process of ups and downs and be some ways in which your day has surprised and delighted you and in other ways in which it's frustrated you or bored you or disappointed you. And that's all completely normal. And also especially want to welcome, there are a couple of people who because of the train strikes weren't here yesterday evening who booked onto the retreat and really warm welcome to you and also welcome to any hermits or staff who are joining us. It's nice to see you all here as well. So yeah, and if you're just arriving or have you've arrived after the start of the retreat, you may have the sense that everybody's so settled and serene and they all have got the ropes and they know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, your mind is the only one that's a mess and you're the only one who's feeling confused and not quite knowing where you are. But uh, just to reassure you that probably a lot of us are still feeling a little bit like that. And that this uh, settling into retreat is a, is a process. It's not something that we just click a switch and here we are. <coughs> so our theme for the retreat is rest and renewal. And we promised that we were going to support this theme with an exploration or an inquiry into a contemplation, particularly of these 10 qualities known in early Buddhist teachings as the paramis. Uh, parami means a perfection or perfect, perfected quality, something that's kind of optimized. And we just want to use these qualities as a kind of a framework or a scaffolding for our teachings. <coughs> Perfections, that sounds a bit daunting. <laughs> But we can think of them as qualities or capacities of, of the human heart. Uh, sometimes they'd be transi uh, translated traditionally as virtues. And some of you that might be an inspiring word. Some of you that might be an off-putting word. Maybe a kind of um, positive psychology rendition of that would be character strengths. Um, and all these are useful, you know, it's useful to play with different words and see what impact that has on our perception of something. But we could think of them also as life skills. Uh, one of the books on these 10 qualities that I've found really useful in the past is by Ajahn Suchito, who some of you may know, who sometimes teaches here. He was a teacher to myself and Sumedha. Um, and he calls them ways to cross life's floods which is a nice way of thinking about them. So they're kind of life skills that help us navigate across the turbulence and the, 
the, yeah, the, the storms and the floods of life. And really, rather than thinking about a point of perfection to be reached, they're kind of open-ended cultivations. And the, the, the perfection's perspective comes from the, the tradition that it's actually by having perfected the, these ten qualities, uh, the Buddha um, was able to realize his awakening. So just to walk us through what are these ten, um, they are the qualities of, and you, as I read them, just kind of see which ones, uh, oh yeah, that's something that I really, really um, feel inspired by, and which ones maybe don't so much touch us. And just see how each one lands with you. So the first one is dana, generosity. These are the Pali, the Pali words, the language of the early Buddhist texts. The second is sila, ethics or morality, which Nathan expressed yesterday as caring, which I think is a lovely way of looking at it. Nekama, which is renunciation. Uh, panya, wisdom or discernment. Virya, energy. Kanti, patience. Satcha, truthfulness. Aditana, resolve or determination. Metta, loving-kindness, and upeka, equanimity. So generosity, caring, renunciation, <coughs> wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, loving-kindness, and equanimity. And lest you feel that you have to memorize all these things, uh, there is a beautiful map of them drawn by Sumeda, which I'm going to pin up afterwards on the notice board, and that will be there for the duration of the retreat. And you can take a glance at them every time you walk past the notice board. And I'm sure later on we can make, make copies for you to go home with, those of you who want. Um. So there, there's a traditional order to these ten qualities that they start with uh, generosity and ethics, because that kind of um, reflects the, the traditional threefold presentation of the, the Buddhist path as, as the cultivation of generosity, ethics, and then uh, mental cultivation. Um, but they also all support each other. And it's also not an exclusive list of qualities or character strengths or virtues that could be cultivated. But these are, these are held to be really um, primary, important, valuable qualities to, to cultivate. Um, and so then the question is, well, where do we jump into this list? Where am I going to jump in this evening? Because I'm not going to give you a talk on all 10 of them. Please don't worry in one go. <laughs> and 
you know, and they all they all sort of overlap with each other. So whichever whichever place you jump in, actually, other qualities are going to be there in the background. And it's a bit like that with Dharma teachings. They're a bit holographic. You know, any place where you enter the Dharma teachings, everything else kind of comes along implicitly sooner or later, which is quite beautiful, really, because you can take an entry point that speaks to you and cultivate from there and the rest of the path will gradually unfold. Uh, so that one of the sayings in the Mahayana is that Dharma doors are endless. They're infinite entry points for the Dharma and uh, we c they can all be cultivated. But where I thought I'd jump in today is actually right in the, in, somewhere in the middle is the quality of energy because it's my experience of being on retreat and talking to lots of retreatants over a long time that this is usually an issue for us. <laughs> that uh, what we find ourselves struggling with a lot at the beginning of a retreat and actually as the retreat unfolds is our energy levels and effort and the whole qu question of how to relate to fluctuations in energy and uh, how to apply effort. So I don't know if anyone's had the thought or the feeling today, oh, I wish I had more energy. Any, anybody felt that? Yeah. <laughs> and has anybody felt, oh, I've got too much energy. This is just so frustrating. I want to get out and run around. <laughs> so maybe, you know, again, we have a whole spectrum of ages and physical uh, bodies that we're in, in, the, in this place. And I imagine, and at times one might feel, one might feel both those things. Um, so there's this thought, I've got too much or too little energy for this. And, and it's normal that this arises. <coughs> and it's a really good, good place to explore what's going on here. So some of the thoughts that might come along with that are things like, oh, can, I, can I really do this? You know, do I actually have capacity for this at, at the moment? Or maybe the thought, sort of thought that arises for me as a habitual pattern sometimes is that I just can't do it. You know, and that could be in relation to almost anything, but that kind of, oh, I can't, can't do it. Or a feeling that circumstances are just conspiring against me and it's all an uphill struggle and it's all futile. Or we can just think, this doesn't work. You know, this is not working for me right now, ergo, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know. Or maybe I've got to do it perfectly. The only way, you know, for this to happen is that I've somehow got to be, have the perfect retreat or the perfect meditation or become the perfect... Uh, philosopher or dharma practitioner or whatever so we can we can recognize that these these arisings are thoughts and some of you may have heard the reflection that thoughts are not facts even the ones that say they are so they're they're habitual thoughts that assail some of us So rather than just go along with the first thing that our mind tells us about energy, about what's possible, our invitation to you is to really observe and inquire what's actually happening. 
So again, it's something that I've experienced myself and many times people have mentioned uh, during retreats the experience of having a night where we haven't slept well and we've woken up tired. And there's a, a, a thought that comes into the mind, today's going to be an unmitigated disaster. You know, I'm not going to have a good day of practice. And then suddenly something happens during the day and they have we have moments of clarity or insight or find something profoundly enjoyable and you realize that that thought you had this this morning is actually that was just how you were feeling then and not everything is dependent on your having had a had a good night's sleep so it's not just what we're doing is not just about the amount of physical energy that you feel or bodily energy that you feel is available to you so Ajahn Suchito in this in his book Ways to Cross Life's Floods he has, he has some some good things he says about energy as a as a parami he says it's not just a matter of intense effort it's the wisely applied resource that res resists the push of psychological habits the wisely applied resource that resists the push of psychological habits. Rather than brute force, it's mostly about sustaining wise endeavour. Its chief function is to keep awareness awake at the places where we drift off into automatic. So where we automatically start just following habit patterns or believing habitual thoughts or believing what our mind's telling us about what's possible or what's happening. But that's not to say that uh, there isn't an important place for caring for our physical energy and to respect it as something that part of our practice is learning to work with our physical energy but it's also something that's also something that's not in our control so energy itself we I could talk about energy energy as if we know what it is but it's ultimately pretty mysterious isn't it we kind of know it by its effects rather than being able to actually see it or even explain it so I was really tickled by uh, Nathan's comment this morning you know do you may you may you may or may not believe in chi well, chi just means energy, but what we don't know is the ins and outs of, you know, how it works. And so there may be aspects of the way that energy is spoken about in another tradition, like uh, the Taoist tradition or the Qigong or the Chinese medicine tradition that is kind of at odds with materialist science and so on. And so it, it sounds woo-woo, but really we don't know, but we're, we're talking about energy. And one of the things I like about energy, the chi thing, is that um, in, in that tradition, it's really clear that energy is not just uh, something that is, the, is not just the activity of the body, but it's also activity of mind and spirit, or energy manifests as mind and spirit as well as, as the body. And so to remember that working with our energy is not just about the bodily energy, it's about the energy of our mind. But one thing about uh, feeling a, a, 
a challenge to our levels of bodily energy. And uh, yeah, I've, I mentioned I, you know, I'm getting over COVID and I'm feeling I'm somebody who often in the past has had a lot of physical energy and I'm really feeling uh, a lack of that at the moment. And with that, noticing that actually energy feels much more like a precious resource that I have to choose how to expend wisely. And I know many of you will be living with different health conditions where that's been a reality for you for a long, long time, you know. Um, and so in a way, it's not an unmitigated disaster to have suboptimal levels of energy because it really challenges us to think, well, how am I going to make best use of it to feel the preciousness of our energy? And here we have opportunities, more opportunity than in ordinary life to rest. And I really encourage you to make use of the opportunities that are offered to rest. To also make use of the opportunities that there are to refresh yourself by spending time outside, even if you don't have the juice to go for a big walk, to just actually, it's really nice to just be outside uh, under the trees in the fresh air and to see the sunshine, to move a little, to do the gentle movement that's offered. One of the ways that we uh, waste a lot of energy is in uh, discrepancy monitoring in the mind. And you know, we notice should comments coming in, uh, expectations about how our practice should be, or how we should be, or things should be. Um, this is a way we can uh, notice that we might be wasting energy. Uh, actually, you know, we're not being, I, I, can, I can see myself sitting here kind of thinking, well, how does the meditation that I'm having right now compare to the one that I had two years ago on that retreat or whatever? And actually, that's a complete, yeah, it's not really terribly useful. It's, it's the, the invitation is to actually notice what's happening now. So that's all we're being asked to meet. We're not being asked to kind of hit the peak experience that we've had in our meditations of the past or exceed it or anything. That's not really in our control. What we're being asked to do moment to moment is simply meet the moment that's arising now to recognize it's like this and meeting it with care. So these are some thoughts if, if energy feels limited or when energy feels limited. Another thing that we can have is we can feel like we've got lots of energy and this just this this environment doesn't really allow us to express it very much. So again there's no um, there's nothing wrong, at least in the way I approach practice and the way we hold it here, with if you like to go for runs and you need to go for a run as part of your retreat, to actually let yourself expend or, you know, balance your energy in a way that's appropriate to your body. Um, to take exercise is, is fine. But we can also then notice when that's a kind of compulsive habit. So again, all these things is, an, is a question of balance. You know, do we have a kind of compulsion around exercise? Are we exercising just to, because the mind's feeling a bit bored? You know? Or actually, is it something that's really helpful for balancing our energy? 
And then if we find ourselves experiencing a lot of restlessness, uh, we need to give it space. Also develop the skill of turning the mind to something that's, that's calming. Because as, as Sumedha said in the afternoon, and this is well said in the, both in the Buddhist teachings as also in, in Qigong, it's where the attention goes, the energy follows. Whatever we frequently give our attention to, that starts to shape our experience. So we can notice like even subtle shifts of attention, like this afternoon when we came in here at three o'clock, the sunlight was pouring into the room in a very beautiful way. And for me, I just noticed even noticing that there was a shift in my whole, in my, in my body and mind, just, oh, that's really nice. Yeah. These little moments of noticing and appreciating actually shift our energy. Um, there's lots of opportunities here to find nourishment from nature, to tune into a sense of appreciation for the world outside and the, what's, what's happening here, just appreciating that we're being cooked for, that we're being given nice food. We don't have to think about shopping and cooking and all those sorts of things. Appreciating the, the kindness of everyone and the sensitivity and the care as we move around. When we, mm, we have the Buddha, the images of the Buddha and Kuan Yin in, in front of us or behind me and this gesture of from time to time lighting candles on the shrine and there's flowers behind me that are an offering to the shrine. These are traditional ways of lifting the heart and mind to honour what's worthy of honouring or to celebrate something that's, uh, that reminds us of a sense of refuge and inspiration. And, you know, whether, again, whether or not you, you identify particularly with these images or as a, as a Buddhist, I think for mo most of us, it's actually, it's really nice to have this view facing us as we come into the hall. And what does that do to remind us to kind of focus and lift our energy in a certain way. And then you can think about what, what actually uplifts and energises you. So uh, Sumedha this afternoon talked about actually we don't have to abandon all thought. You know, at sometimes actually we can use thought skillfully to nudge our attention in a certain direction. So if you find yourself really kind of bogged down in uh, unhelpful thoughts or the energy's really dropped, what kind of perception or thought or idea in the mind would help you um, boost your energy a little bit? So what do, you, what do you enjoy? Maybe that's sport, maybe that's singing, maybe that's dancing, maybe it's hanging out with your grandchildren. Um, maybe there's a place that you really like to be, an activity you really like to engage with it with. And just bringing something like that, remembering our capacity, it's like our whole system remembering our capacity to feel enthused, to feel energised, to feel joyful. I think that can be a really skillful thing to do. 
And we don't want to then go off into a, a fantasy and exit this moment and exit our body, but actually we can kind of drop this remembering of what it feels like to feel energized and enthusiastic and uplifted and then connect that with what's actually happening here now. And this would be an example of, of uh, replacing an unhelpful thought with a more helpful one, which is one of the ways that uh, the Buddha recommended for dealing with, dealing with our thoughts or relating to our thoughts. It's also an example of maybe a fourfold application of energy which is known as wise effort one of the factors of the eightfold path so you know yeah how how should we expend the energy that we have how do we want to best invest the energy that we have one way of looking at it is through what are called the four wise efforts and these are the efforts to um to restrain uh unhelpful states from arising so not to not to feed not to feed or invite unhelpful mind states into the mind so you know what feeds our unhelpful mind states for me doom scrolling on my iphone is like a, a very good example and now we've had the opportunity to relinquish our iphone and if we weren't able to actually send it on retreat hopefully it's switched off and firmly stashed in a suitcase under one's bed and you know, we're not going to ignite unhelpful states of mind that way or, you know, other ways that we might ignite unhelpful states of mind. Or we can apply an intentional effort not to do that. And then if something has arisen that's really unwholesome and unhelpful, can we uh, find a way to just drop it? Sometimes just recognising oh, I'm thinking this really unskillful, unhelpful thought is enough to just drop it. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than that. It'll take more determination and a more intentional uh, wish to shift the attention elsewhere. But what can we learn about how to prevent unwholesome states from arising in the mind, unhelpful states from arising in the mind, and to let go of ones that have already arisen? And what can we do to develop wholesome states of mind? So again, reflections on kindness or contentment or appreciation, gratitude and appreciation, or just noticing what's pleasant and enjoyable in our experience. Uh, cultivating a kind of happy and contented mind, cultivating a generous mind, cultivating a caring mind, and then maintaining those, state, those states. So this is our you know, ongoing exploration and the way that it's helpful to invest our energy. And we may have particular habit patterns that we've noticed and that we're, we're working with. So I mentioned some of the stories that we might habitually tell ourselves about, I can't do this. Everybody out there looks like they can do it, but I can't do it. I'm such a basket case. You know, or um, you know, I, I, I can, if I do this, I've, I've got to be the best at it somehow. Or, um, so, yeah, really noticing which habit, habit patterns of mine we might as individually be working with at the moment.
one of the things that I think is really helpful, Nathan mentioned yesterday, especially in the context of silent retreat, is to notice our inner speech patterns. You know, um, how do we find us, or do we find ourselves talking to ourselves judgmentally or unkindly? Criticizing ourselves, criticizing other people, judging everybody here, feeling ill will, feeding our ill will even, justifying our ill will towards each other. And when we find that happening, noticing what it feels like, and then applying energy to actually not keeping investing in doing that. So sometimes just getting into an argument with an unhelpful thought in the mind isn't very helpful. It's better to just kind of shelve it to one side. Yeah, maybe you're right, maybe you're not right. But actually, I'm going to notice this or think about this or attend to this, even if this is just the soles of my feet on the floor or the touch of my hands on my, on my legs. And uh, not squandering our mental energy on things like worry and rumination and regret and resentment. So my mind, I don't know about yours, but my mind tends to work very well with images and uh, an image that I heard years ago, which I really like, is uh, thinking about our thoughts about the past and our thoughts about the future as kind of big, heavy burdens that are on the end of, you know, like in Asia, we carry, or people carry um, loads on a stick across the shoulders and you've got something heavy hanging off either end. And I've heard stories of strapping young men trying to pick up, pick up these things that, you know, an old lady in Thailand seems to carry with ease and being unable to pick them up. They can be really, really heavy. And the sense of we carry, we carry our world around us like that, on our shoulders, weighing us down. All our thoughts about the past, all our thoughts about the future. Some of them we need to engage with, but I would reckon that 99% of them we probably don't. And the image I have coming into my meditation cushion or on retreat is actually, let's just put this thing down. You don't have to throw it away. You can put, it, put, it, put them down. You can pick them up again next Saturday if you want to. But actually you have permission to put this down here now. And a lot of it is about permission, because we kind of think that it's irresponsible not to worry about everything. But I'm not quite sure what good worrying about everything is going to be doing you right here, right now. Yeah. You notice how children are so much more um, alive in the present moment. They have much smaller bags of past and future that they carry around with them. Or the future is just more of an exciting adventure. It's less a you know, whole story of the things that could go wrong based on what we know about what's happened before. And uh, let yourself be a little bit childlike here on retreat and in your practice. I really think that the permission to be playful is a, is a part of practice that most of us could really do with nurturing. Yeah. And when we do that, when we put down these burdens of past and future, we're also mm, cultivating this ability to really um, 
drink in, to really connect with, become intimate with the present moment, which is where all our instructions, all our encouragements are, are pointing us. So we're divesting the energy from out there in the virtual world and bringing it into what's really connecting here and now. And if we can, find, finding what's enjoyable, what's restful, what feels, as we've said, safe here and now. And that might be different at different times. And again, that still requires some effort and some work. But this is the development of samadhi or steadiness or collectedness. The bringing together of the mind and the body in one place in a way where we can really, really deeply rest. Which is in itself refreshing and nourishing. And practicing that takes a kind of what one of our colleagues, Jake Dartington, calls a kindly discipline. So that sounds a little bit, again, one of these many oxymorons that we encounter in practice, things that sound self-contradictory. But a kindly discipline. That choosing what to let go of and choosing what to pursue. So I, I hope that that sort of gives you a sense that energy as a, um, as a parami is not so much talking about, you know, do I have enough energy to uh, go for a three-mile run or to uh, feel that I can sit bright and alert through the whole sitting. Um, it doesn't have to be confined by the amount of physical or bodily energy that's available to us. So the, the Pali word for energy, it, this parami, is virya. And it's sometimes given other translations than energy. So other translations that I like are persistence. Persistence. Uh, Willingness, willingness to show up and be here and connect with our experience. Choice, the exercising of choice about what we do, what we engage with, where we put our attention. Courage, and that's a really interesting one to me because virya, it has this uh, root, vir, this in, in the Indo-European languages, which is related to the, the Latin word for hero and from where we actually get virtue and virility and whatever, although this heroism is not a preserver for the male gender. <laughs> but the idea of courage, that really speaks to me because actually even doing, you know, what seems like doing nothing, just sitting there and abandoning a, abandoning a habitually unhelpful thought actually takes courage. It takes courage to go against the grain of habit, even to just be here and sit still all day. There are a lot of people who couldn't do that. You've probably, lots of you have probably heard of the experiments that have been done where people are asked to just sit just alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes and they prefer to give themselves electric shocks than have nothing to do. <laughs> you know. So it's no small thing what we're asking of ourselves. And it takes courage. And this virya energy, it appears not just in the context of these paramis, but it appears in some other key lists or sort of matrices within the, 
the teachings of the Dharma. And one is as a, a spiritual faculty. So we have five spiritual faculties. The first of them that supports, actually supports virya is sada or faith. And again, faith is an interesting word for some of us, it's resonances. But I sort of, my, the, the, the way I'm seeing it at the moment is faith equals um, confidence plus humility together. It has elements of both. And confidence and humility together support this kind of courage, I think. And the other spiritual faculties that accompany them are mindfulness, wisdom and concentration. You'll see that mindfulness is everywhere as well. And you might say, well, why isn't mindfulness one of the paramis? But they kind of all sit, they all rest on mindfulness. You kind of need mindfulness to uh, do any of them. They also all support mindfulness, of course. So, you know, these things are always circular, always circular. And then virya is also an awakening factor. So there it comes in the list of awakening factors where it's supported by mindfulness and by investigation or curiosity. And this is a, a way that we can arouse our energy is to bring curiosity or investigation to what's happening. And again, that doesn't need a lot of physical bodily energy to just kind of drop a mini question mark into the mind. What is this? What's happening? Uh, it can be very gentle. It can be very quiet. You know, we can do that. Even when we're unwell, we can drop in that question mark. What's happening? And actually, investigation gives rise to energy, interest. Energy is interest. And it, that actually, in this series of the awakening factors, it unfolds into the possibility of happiness and calm. And when the mind is calm and happy, it becomes concentrated. When it becomes concentrated, we see with more clarity. And when we see with more clarity, it's liberating. It's also in the four qualities known as the bases for success. So these are called idipadas, bases for success, along with intention and awareness and investigation. So you see, there's the, the whole dance of these Dharma teachings is, is kind of uh, interdependent. It's like a big root network that kind of feeds in and supports, supports it's, is supported by many, many qualities. So amongst the other paramis, I would say that really one of the really supportive uh, paramis for energy is the quality of aditana or resolve, determination or resolve. And resolve really is about reflecting on and remembering our intention. And it's, so it's something a bit more, what's the difference between intention and resolve? I would say intention is something a bit more that operates moment to moment. Uh, aditana or resolution is something a little bit more like a 
a deeper root that we really plant and it's sort of one of our jobs one of the jobs of energy maybe is to not let our determination get derailed by the doubts in our mind that come in you know to really hold fast in a sort of visceral way to a, a determination so maybe to invite that relationship to some of the intentions that you've set for yourself for the retreat you know doubt is something we'll probably speak much much more about doubt but doubt is something that is so the thinking mind just comes in and hijacks us and tries to derail us from what we're doing but actually to to really um, respect and keep refreshing our, our, our intentions, our resolutions. And again, these kind of ritual reminders that we have to uplift the heart to what it most aspires to, most wishes for, are really helpful. And that's the job and the function of retreat and practice in Sangha, is to do that. Because the world out there, there's so much that is just drawing us, pulling us to expend energies in, in, in ways that are, you know, totally, totally fruitless. Uh, the whole message is be less content so that you can get more and spend more and, you know, keep the juggernaut of capitalism rolling along and so on. And uh, it's not working. So here we have the chance to build our strength, build our muscles to do something different. So a last thing to, to say is a little um, reflection on actually energy is something about finding balance or the need for balance in working with energy and effort. So um, Sumedha mentioned this afternoon th this the, the Buddha's kind of journey from a life of extreme um, pleasure and indulgence to a life of self-mortification and asceticism. And actually his awakening involved finding a balance between those things, a middle path. And we can see how does that archetype apply to how we're, how we're making an effort right now? You know, are we veering to the side of kind of just self-indulgence? Let's yeah, just gravitate to what immediately gives us some gratification. Or are we pushing ourselves too hard, beating up on ourselves? And, it, and it's a real skill to find the balance there. And the balance is not like you find one middle line. And the, the middle way maybe is not like a straight line. It's like a constant process of course correction. So the other famous image from the suttas is like the balance, finding a balance of effort and energy is like tuning an instrument. If you tighten it too much, it will go out of tune one way. If you loosen it too much, it'll go out of tune another way. And if you know what musicians do, they just constantly listen and resonate and recalibrate and listen and resonate and recalibrate. And that's what we're doing in our practice. So I really like Nathan's suggestion this morning of actually, rather than thinking I've got to be continuously mindful of my breath or continuously mindful of my steps as I walk, how about just, okay, I'm going to be as present as I can for the next three breaths, and then I'll have a little rest, and then I'll do the next three breaths. 
or I'll take the next three steps and then I give myself permission to just be for a moment and then the next three steps. You know. And that feels to me much more natural, like um, that our attention actually works in, in that pulsing way. We apply our attention to something and we let it linger there. And this is kind of turning towards the... If you, familiar with the, the jhana factors of vitaka and vichara. You direct the mind to something and then you just kind of resonate with it and you direct the mind. Because we don't want to clamp the mind onto something because you lose your sensitivity. It's like you, you, you send your mind in a direction and you feel what happens and you send it again. That's, that's the natural way, I think, to apply effort. It's like take, you can't just only take in breaths and you can't just only take out breaths, you know. Uh, so you, you take an in-breath and, the out, and then an out-breath, but you also don't stop. You don't stop breathing. I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, Rupert Sheldrake, the scientist. Some of you might know him, you know, um, who talks about habit patterns in evolution and what he calls morphic resonance. And points out that life unfolds or evolves through a combination of creativity and habit. And I like that the way that our, you know, the energy works and the way that it's natural for us to be is we, we are creatures of habit. And I've talked about bad habits. Not all habits are bad. So these paramis, for example, are very beautiful, wonderful habits to cultivate. And so, and, but this idea of creativity or innovation and habit, also that, that speaks to a balance of effort. You know, sometimes we're expending effort to do something <coughs> new, sometimes we're just resting. So given that we are creatures of habit and need, need to rest in our habits, let's build good habits, beautiful habits to rest in. So this is the energy of the yin and the yang, the yin that goes inwards and comes to rest and the yang that goes outwards and expands. And those two things are in a constant dance. We can't do one without the other. Yes, yeah, so just encouraging your determination and your wise effort and your courage and your sense of kindly discipline as we continue our practice together over these few days. And don't be discouraged if you feel that your quote-unquote energy levels are not where you'd like them to be, because that's not going to prevent you from engaging with and developing this quality of virya energy as a, as a parami and all the other beautiful qualities that support it. Let's just take a moment to pause together and allow, allowing whatever's been helpful from the, the reflections this evening to just settle in your mind, not feeling that you have to remember every last word. And if whatever's kind of not helpful, just let it go.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.